the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. All right, you're very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast, heading into the final round of the Guinness Six Nations, Ireland against Scotland this Saturday afternoon. The middle game of Super Saturday, also got Wales, Italy and France, England as well. Donal Lennon and Bernard Jackman are with me this afternoon to chat through the win against England and the game against Scotland uh, coming up this weekend. Guys, how are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, good, thank you. We probably won't we probably won't dwell too long on the game itself against England because there's been plenty said about it over the last few days as well. But Donald, I might start with you first. Over the last couple of days, there was probably a bit of frustration for, for a lot of the game. There was probably a lot of discussion about how the performance itself wasn't that great in spite of a four-try win against England. Over the last few days, have has your kind of mind changed much at all? Has, have you been able to reflect differently on the match now that, you know, it's kind of soaked in a little bit more? Yeah, I think I have. Look, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult when you're in the commentary box and you're doing, you know, you're doing a game on television. You're so focused on the game itself. You're so sort of uh, centred on trying to watch patterns, what's happening in the game. Sometimes you, you, you tend to lose the overall picture. Uh, my sense being in Twickenham, firstly, uh, I think you had to be there to appreciate just what a cauldron it was. Uh, the English crowd obviously were incensed by the Charlie Ewells sending off. Uh, now, it's one of the issues. Uh, they didn't show the replay on the television. Um, I think they should because anybody looking at it would have seen it was a red card immediately. Uh, but look, that, that, that's a debate for another day. Obviously, the England crowd got behind the team. Uh, England, that old belligerence came out. They went back to, to, to type. They played a very direct type of rugby. Uh, their kicking game was excellent. Their kick chase, superb. Their set piece, outstanding. And they stressed Ireland in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, you, when a team, they're, they're, there's games, even against inferior opposition, where you find yourself in a cauldron like that, and it can be quite difficult to dig your way out of it. So I think there was huge positives from Ireland in terms of being examined in a way that maybe in advance of the game they didn't think they would be. Uh, certainly that third quarter when England came back to 15-all, there was all kinds of questions asked of Ireland. Uh, but they found a way. They found a solution. They stuck to the way they wanted to play and they got the rewards with the two tries at the end. In fact, I only watched a replay of the game uh, there again early this morning and uh, I found a way more enjoyable this time, I have to say. Um, so look, it was it was a test that I think will stand to Ireland for what's coming down the road. Uh, Twickenham is a very difficult place to go and win. England had only lost two Six Nations games in Twickenham in ten years. We came away with a bonus point win. Yes, there were issues there. There were things highlighted. The scrum obviously was a major issue on the day, but it isn't as if our scrum is a problem. You do get. Uh, Sometimes in a match, you, you come across something that you're not quite sure how to deal with. And I think there was an issue there as well. Uh, but I don't see that as a, a sort of um, a repeating theme. So from that point of view, and when you look at the stats, actually, of Ireland's performance, I think there was a huge amount that Ireland can take from the game. But most importantly, the fact that they came away with five points. Yeah, and Birch, like one thing Donald said there at the start, is, is it the fact that Things were going wrong for so long, but there was an, an awful lot of composure shown in that last quarter of the game where the experienced heads came out, like the likes of Conor Murray and those who were on the pitch, maybe Johnny Sexton as well, just slowed things down. They made it more direct. 
and they picked themselves up and they were actually very, very clinical in that last 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, they're really good. I think when, um, particularly when Marcus Smith made it 15 all, you know, that, that was a time, given what was starting to happen, that, uh, you know, players could go off track. And I actually thought that they, they got more clarity of thought for the last 20 minutes than they had for, um, for the second and third quarter. And, and there's some, you know, big moments. So Andrew Conway's 250-22s, you know, we had been overplaying a little bit. We had been a little bit anxious to keep ball in hand and try and stretch them, whereas, you know, he just got us down there and, and, and that field position was, was, was important. As you said, I thought the bench coming on, particularly Conor Murray, I thought, um, you know, was, was made a big impact and just didn't make any errors and, and, and played to the right areas of the field. So I, I think, I agree with Donald, I think Ireland will get massive positive. Like, it's so rare to, well, it's nearly impossible, to be honest. I know they had, we had an extra man, but to concede seven, to be penalised seven times between six penalties and a free kick at the scrum and, and still get win with a bonus point, I mean, it's unheard of. So, um, we, you know, we got through that. I think we'll, we'll be smarter next time. I think the two matches the Six Nations, our scrum has been under pressure, has been France and England, and both attacked us in a completely different way. Um, so that's good for us um, to, to learn. And again, as Donald said, Week, most weeks we don't get tested at scrum time. It's, in my opinion, it's only England, France and South Africa who have the tools to really go after us. And I, and I think that um, it's, it's great to learn, but still win with maximum points. On the scrum, we may as well get into it. Like, as you kind of hinted there, Donald, do you think it's like, is this, is it not something to be worrying about long term? It's just one of those days where England identified something, they got on the right side of the referee and you know, in future games, that's not necessarily going to be happening. No, I don't think it is. Uh, look, we all know French referees, they tend to make their mind up early, who is the dominant scrum. And when they, when you get that lip, and you know the referee is on your side, you can actually get away with things that you wouldn't try otherwise. Um, look, we all know tight furlong is, is probably the best tight head in the world. England found a way of attacking him. Um, certainly Genge and... and um, 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 George, the hooker, worked extremely well together. Uh, the disappointing thing for me, Bert, and I'd be interested in your, your take on this. Half time, I was expecting, you know, uh, some form of, of uh, a solution, or certainly that given you 10, 15 minutes to talk it through. And I go back to, uh, if you remember the Heineken Cup uh, 2011, uh, I can't remember, Bert, whether you were involved at Leinster and, and Northampton. Len Leinster scrum famously under severe pressure in the opening half of that game. Uh, I remember talk afterwards of Greg Feek with the iPad out, sitting down with Mike Ross. They found a solution there and they turned the whole thing around in the second half. Um, Leinster, I think, 16 points down, turned the game around and went on to a, a, a comprehensive victory. Uh, I was just a little disappointed even in terms of getting a message to the referee that Ireland weren't able to get uh, either solve it in terms of their approach or get a message to the referee to say, look, you've got to look at England that Genge's backside is coming out. He wasn't scrummaging parallel to the touchline. Um, so like that was disappointing from my perspective. Yeah, I think I, I, I retired in 2011, but I know what happened. Um, the dressing room was apparently chaos and Greg Feig, felt he wouldn't get his message across. So he brought the pack into the showers and he had a he had an overhead like a spider cam view we've seen of of the of the Sinclair um boring in that everyone is going mad about. But he had an overhead view and he could see where Leinster were losing their connections. And apparently you know the players saw from above 
Um, they were able to basically understand exactly what they needed to do in the second half. And if you remember, they, they went from having a weak scrum to a dominant scrum, and it was a big part of changing around. I think, look, I think what happened at halftime is that they basically... Um, they said we're not going to crab and we're not going to wheel around on the left hand side anymore. And if the pressure comes on, go to ground. But if you watch it back, so the scrums collapsed and and, and England's back five kept pushing. Um, so the, actually the scrum collapsed like on the mark of where the ball was put in. But England's back back five just kept pushing. Very dangerous actually because the whole front rows were yeah. kind of over top of each other. But for the referee's point of view, and this is French refereeing, the team that can go forward can pretty much do what they want and. Uh, uh, they they managed to win more penalties then, whereas I'd say John Fogarty in Ireland were saying, look at go to ground, let's make it a, a 50-50 in terms of the referee's decision. And very rarely done, and you, you've seen this more than I have, but does a referee kind of stick with his initial instinct the whole way through? Like normally if you give away four penalties, you might get the next two. It's just, uh, it's particularly if it goes to ground, if you, if you stay exactly. in the fight and you go backwards. So we couldn't, I think the tactic of not going backwards was right, but obviously we painted such a poor picture that and and the fact that it was a French referee that it was um it didn't didn't turn around at all. But I I do think we have a lack of we have a problem in terms of depth in our front five, um, particularly on the loose head side, um, behind Andrew Porter. And and this is like David Kakoyan is a brilliant player, Keen Healy is, is has been a brilliant player, but I wonder I, you know, I wonder where the next loose head is coming from. Um and also, I mean Dan Sheen is a phenomenal player, but I think at the moment his role is best suited to coming off the bench with 30 minutes to go when that scrum contest has evened out to a certain extent. Um, and, you know, do we have a, can we find more set piece type players that like, for example, um, uh, at the weekend, Wales playing France, uh, they brought in Thomas to play loose head, you know, Tom, he's played eight caps for, for Wales, but he's seen now in Wales as being the best scrummaging loose head. He's not the best rugby player in loose head. When, when Jones is still seen to be that, but um, Wayne Pivak felt, if I give Antonio an inch here, he'll take a, he'll take a mile. So they picked a set piece player, and you know they stayed in the game. You know they they stayed in the game till the very end. So maybe that's what we need to try and do is is to not look at it. It's, it's not it's not a panic by any means, but have more balance. So Kilcoyne for me and Porter are two, you know, in, very uh, very focused on on what they bring, which is you know big power and, and big energy. Keen Healy was able to do both. I just wonder. Is his power waning a little bit? And uh, certainly, we've seen some scrums for Leinster and for Ireland where he's got to do a really bad habit of kicking his hips out and allowing that tight into that space. And and to be honest, what he can do for Leinster sometimes is let that hooker let that tight into that space, and then he's so strong in comparison to the tight heads he plays against in the URC that he can pop them up and we win a penalty. But the problem was Sinclair. Sinclair was so far across and he's not a bad scrummager. He's not brilliant. I agree with you, Don. Yeah. I think you're unlucky. You're unlucky in terms of um, saying that Genge and, and, and Sinclair um, aren't brilliant scrummagers because I think sometimes they get exposed. Uh, Sinclair particularly and Genge can get penalised off the field. So you were right. Just on the night, on the day, it just became a real collective effort. And Jamie George is phenomenally strong and phenomenally good in mm-hmm. that area. And uh, he kept the whole thing together. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about that. Look, you look, I mean, the Lions initially didn't pick Sinclair to go on the tour. He only came in when um, Andrew Porter got injured in the end. So, um, but you know yourself, the scrum, it's all about the opening 15 minutes. Once 
you can show that everything you parity there is not an issue, then the opposition stop taking you on. It's when they sense that they have a little bit of an advantage early on that they keep going for it. Um, so, uh, like, like that is an issue. It's not a problem that Ireland have had, but I, I, I agree 100% in terms of the next layer underneath Kilcoyne and, and Kean Healy. A year out from a World Cup, that is a concern. Obviously, we had cover on tight head when Andrew Porter was over there. His primary function now is as a starting loose head, and we have to leave him there. Uh, there's talk that Ireland are, are looking for two games against the Maori in the summer to supplement the three tests. Now, five games in New Zealand, I think uh, it's a brilliant opportunity. You can bring down uh, a bigger squad of players. Uh, that is a proving ground down there. I mean, New Zealand had given up the scrum about seven or eight years ago, but then um, they, they, uh, uh, Cron had come in as the, the, the scrum coach in New Zealand. Graham Henry, I remember when he came back from Northern Hemisphere, it was almost as if New Zealand, they were so intent on playing this fast offloading game. They were playing back row forwards in the second row and they lost their affinity with the set piece. It's only when they re, uh, reintroduced themselves to the importance of that that they began to dominate and win World Cups again. Um, so I think the summer tour is going to be huge for Andy Farrell in trying to uh, generate a bit of depth in that front row because it's definitely a concern. Going to a World Cup, you need at least five props, if not six. In fact, they, they, they've expanded. You can now bring 32 players, I think, in a World Cup squad. So you can actually have three sets of front rows. Um, at the moment, Ireland's starting front rows are outstanding. Uh, the layer behind them are proven experienced guys like Kilcoyne and Kean Healy. It's the next layer underneath that, which we're going to have to find in the next year because you only go back to last, the last World Cup. England, outstanding right throughout the tournament. Their performance against New Zealand in the semi-final was outstanding. Yet, uh, Sinclair got injured, if you remember, in the first five minutes of the World Cup final. Dan Cole, a lot of people had felt, was, was um, gone past it at that stage. He came on and the England scrum was decimated by South Africa in the final. And in the end, that was the difference between winning and losing. So uh, it still remains a key element to the game, even though you might have only known eight or nine scrums in a match. In terms of the personnel then, like if we're talking about that next layer on, on the loose head side specifically, because that's kind of what we've been we've been talking about, who are who are the candidates there and what are their skills at like who is who's the best scrummager of the lot? Who's the most explosive? Jeremy Lockman seems to be the, the next cab off the rank at the moment. He was brought in there there last week. But what's your own take on that? Who are the who are the outstanding candidates? going forward well, look, it's going to be very level playing field so you see Dooley going to, to Connacht so if he becomes first choice in Connacht obviously Buckley will have something to say about that but is he going to find an, an extra level um, you know Ed Byrne is going to be realistically third choice in Leinster because Porter and Keane Healy are going to get the, the minutes there um, Eric O'Sullivan certainly you know he's shown a lot of potential but his form has dipped a little bit and he's probably not that outside scrummager Lockman um yeah, Lockman is, is is in the Irish squad now, but uh, I haven't seen. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm really worried about it. You know, um, I think if you think about it, if you say uh, Kilcoyan and Healy, you know, for 13 years, Porter Porter was initially loose head. So for 13 years, we haven't really produced another international loose head. I would say of of that that standing. And look, it's 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 um uh, it's hard. It's it's very difficult uh, to bring them through, but um. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I don't think there's an obvious candidate out there 
to go and be a you know be able to lock horns with with the best tight heads in the world, you know. Is Donald is a bit like out half where there are there are plenty of plenty of contenders, but no one has quite kind of put their head above the parapet yet. Yeah, I think that's that that is a problem. I think it's also an issue in that some of the younger guys that Birch is alluding to, they're not regular first choice starters for their provincial teams. So you need somebody within the provinces outside of Leinster to grasp that loose head scenario and to drive on. I mean, um, you know, there, there's there's a number there that Birch has spoken about, Eric O'Sullivan being one of them. Uh, Lockman is now definitely second in line to Dave Kilcoyne and Munster. Um, but it's a huge step up to the next level. Um, but it is something that obviously Andy Farrell is conscious of John and John Fogarty because the likes of, of O'Sullivan, now Lockman, uh, Tom O'Toole on the right-head side, on the tight-head side, they've all been brought into Irish camp. So they're looking closely at these guys. They know who the candidates are. It's a question of those players getting as much exposure as possible. And you need that in Europe for me. I think, you know, you're going over to France. Uh, I remember um, young Josh Witcherly uh, was Munster's third tight choice loose. I played against Claremont Tavern, if you remember, two years ago. Uh, up against Slimani. Uh, I mean, what an experience. That was worth six months of, of training in Limerick. Uh, first scrum, he goes skydiving. But he found a way back. And that is the key. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to keep learning. Uh, no, I think he, you know, he hasn't uh, had a huge amount of game time since. So he's, you know, he has a bit to go to get back to that level. But that's where you find out about these young players. Uh, and that's where the Heineken Cup, for me, has a huge role to play in terms of Andy Farrell and John Fogarty, Paul O'Connell, sifting out the next level that's behind the, the frontline players because they're going to have to bring them to New Zealand I really hope that Ireland get those two additional games against the New Zealand Maori because I think in terms of you'll then be what, 13, 14 months out from the World Cup, that's the best exposure you're going to get. Uh, and I think they could learn more down there in three or four weeks than they will in a whole season of URC matches, for example. Moving from the scrum discipline to, to line-out discipline, it's been something of a, of a recurring theme with Ireland over the last year where almost every game there's... There's one of these obstruction penalties at the lineout, and I know Donald, you were you were voicing your opinion on it on Saturday afternoon when Ian Henderson gave away one of those penalties. We asked Ian Henderson about it yesterday on Ireland's media duty about what happened. Is this a kind of a recurring issue for Ireland that they need to stamp out? Here's what he had to say. The that the when we look at the, we we've reviewed our lineout obviously, and and in previous games it might be slightly different. The those those all come from be it a, a mislift or um something doesn't function well beforehand. That's usually the issue with that. Um when you fold around the back it's usually due to due to an, a previous error, um which which is probably frustrating on our part because we, we want to get good drill, we want to get good tempo. Um that one there, like I, I there's there's various things that you can point at, but I, Personally, myself, I just need to make sure I'm I'm more more disciplined in behind Bernie there as he's going up. Obviously, we had a um, massive threat, for, um, which we'd seen earlier on in the game from from Maro Tuje coming through the seams. And when you're when you've got someone like that, you're, he's your main worry there. Um, and when you try to take that space in the middle of the line out, he um, and he's not there. That's when that's when it can show bad pictures to the referee. But yeah, I, th I think that's that's something that. Um, uh, 
when, when you hear about referees and, and, and their meetings and you get a lot of feedback from the refs and, and they're hot on things, that's definitely something that, that we probably need to be aware of that they're hot on at the minute. Now, that was Ian Henderson there. Donald, before you give your opinion on it, can you explain, can you explain as a kind of a line person, what is this, for, for people maybe who, who don't fully understand that are listening at home, what is it that Ireland are doing? What are yeah, they trying to do? Why is it illegal? Well, well it's very simple in that uh, basically you have uh, a lifter on each side of the jumper. Basically, one of the lifters pivots himself in between the jumper who has caught the ball and the opposition before he comes to ground. That prevents the opposition from being able to tackle the person who has the ball. So it's a form of obstruction. Uh, you can't do that until the line-out is over. Um, it's been a recurring theme. It cost Ireland a try against uh, Wales, I think, um, in the start of the championship. When you get into those positions, five or six metres out from the opposition line, you've got to be absolutely clinical in terms of your execution. Um, as, as Ian Henderson said there, there's no doubt that referees, this is something that Ireland have done in the past, so it's something that referees are looking out for. And referees are thrilled. They do their homework in advance. When they spot something that a, a team tries to get away with, they're only thrilled to be able to pick it up because it shows them in a good light. Uh, in fact, I only saw some of the highlights of uh, Munster playing against the Bulls over the weekend. And again, they had a try disallowed. I think Jack, or Jack uh, O'Donoghue had a try disallowed for the exact same offence. So obviously, it's, it's a systems thing that some that Irish teams try to get away with. And let's be honest, in rugby, you, 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 you try to get away with things as much as you can. If the referee doesn't pick it up, then you're going to do it again. Um, to be fair to Henderson, I understand what he is saying and that Maroatoja is such a pain in the backside when you get into those positions because he's the best in the world at finding a way to get himself in there when the team comes back into ground. And I think there was an element that Ireland had to seal that off early. Um, but it, like for me, um, it's just happening a little bit too often. And I think in the context of last Saturday's game, when Ireland, when there was a number of, of penalties given away, um, uncharacteristic penalties, normally when Ireland get into that scoring zone, they're very clinical. Um, but, you know, they didn't help their own cause by, by those silly penalties. Uh, Henderson, again, I think, gave away another penalty at the breakdown when a ball was out coming in with his hand. There was no way. He was going to impact on the recycle of that ball in the first place. So you're better off letting it go. But um, look, I think given that it's been highlighted once again now and that they've spoken about it, I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a problem this weekend. But it is frustrating when you see the same mistakes recurring time and time again. Bernard, I've, I've seen plenty of people in the last couple of days pointing out how how Ulster actually do that a lot and have been scoring quite a few tries off and, you know, it's why their mall is so effective. Is the, the big difference, kind of what Donald was saying, that, you know, everyone is trying to push the boundaries of the law a little bit, but there's a subtle way of doing it and there's an obvious way of doing it. Yeah, there's an obvious way of doing it. I think the problem is that um, if you get it done properly, if you get a, if you double bank as such, right, so you get another body directly behind the catcher, it's effectively impossible for... Well, obviously, you have to get the next the next um, block in there as well. But it's impossible for someone like Atoje, um to get through the, the, the line out as such. That's what Ireland are, are trying to do. That's what everyone's trying to do. Um, so, effectively, you get it built properly legally, it, it effectively looking at, should be looking at a try. But, obviously, when it goes wrong um, and it's clear to the referee 
it's a penalty. So it's a it's a massive uh, swing. But I remember, uh, like O'Connell is a, is a real technician, and I remember picking up early in his his start as a as a forwards coach, where Ireland actually pulled the player into that position on purpose, you know, for the opposition and. They pulled Perhaps. the Maro Toje. Yeah. No, so the, the guy, the Ian Henderson, for <laughs> who's lifting Tyke Byrne. So um, Courtney Laws lifting at Maro Toje. They actually pulled Courtney Laws into that position and put him there, even though he didn't want to be there. And the referee gave a, a penalty. It wasn't against England, it was against someone else. But it's really smart. It was in that, you know, the they put the guy there on, on purpose. Uh, but now it's gone full circle where we've just got a little bit sloppy. And um, I'd say we're driving O'Connell mad. To be honest, because like he's not just happy to win the ball, it's about you know quality of delivery, but also it's about not giving away penalties. So um, it's something I, I I'd be shocked if it's not fixed. You know, I think this week, this week their, their drill will be much better. In terms of Scotland, then this weekend, what are the what are the big threats we've seen from Scotland so far? Because they've they've obviously been a bit hot and cold. Started off with that really great win against England, and it's just been a bit mixed since then. Scored some nice tries against Italy at the weekend, but let in a few bad ones as well. Do don't do they have the weapons to punish Ireland across the full eighty minutes? Uh, Scotland, they're 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 so frustrating, really, aren't they? I mean, you just it's it's one step forward, two steps back. I mean, defensively, they were the outstanding team in the Six Nations for the last two years. I think um, you know, was it uh, five tries conceded in twenty twenty? Uh, no, they had ten last year but still that was the lowest in the championship they've conceded 11 already in four games Italy scored three tries against them last year which is almost as if they look to move their game on from just being a defensive team and then have lost their concentration in that I still uh, like their their front five is competent but it doesn't it's it's not a sort of destroying front five the likes of what um what France have, or what England potentially have. Um, now, and, and, and I suppose from an attacking perspective, when you look at it, Scotland had five players on the Lions tour who featured in the Test Series. You had Ali Price and Finn Russell came out of the third Test. You had Harris in the centre, who's a very good player, in my opinion, got two tries against Italy in the weekend. Duane van der Merv and, and Hogg at full back. The difference for Scotland in this year's Championship, I think, Three of those players, Russell hasn't been as influential as you thought he might have been. Hogg has been hot and cold. And Ali Price, prior to last Saturday, um, for you know someone who had sort of got the test place ahead of Conor Murray in South Africa, um, had been quite poor. Now, he was back to his best last weekend. Um, so for Scotland, it's a question of getting their balance right. Just when they seem to find one area where they're dominant and where they're stressing teams, there's another area that appears to let them down. Um, so look, it's, it's, I think Scotland have a psychological barrier with Ireland as well. If you look at all the, they're, they're, we're the one team that Gregor Townsend hasn't managed to beat. He's in the Scotland job now, I think four or five years at this stage, but he's never beaten Ireland um, in the Six Nations. So from that point of view, uh, I, I, you go back to the World Cup, Yokohama, Scotland were the big threat to us early on. And Ireland dealt with them far more comfortably than they did with Japan, for example, in that cool stage. Um, so, look, I think Ireland will be disappointed with aspects of their performance last week. They have a lot to play for this weekend. Uh, I think Scotland are under more pressure. Uh, does that make them 
more dangerous. Uh, I think from an attacking perspective, they may be getting back to where they were. So there will be a threat. But again, defensively, Ireland were outstanding. I mean, they, they, England didn't score a try at the weekend. Is it, is it something with Scotland, though, that they, they have a habit, particularly in the last 12 months or so, of, of playing up and down to the opposition? Like, they've, they've beaten England two years in a row in the Six Nations. They beat France last year in the Six Nations. And then they've had games like round two against Wales this year when they really should be winning that game and they just completely left it behind. Sloppiness against Italy just gone as well. So they, they have a habit of producing these big one-off performances when they, when they, when they want to. Absolutely. I, I think it's a very frustrating for Gregor because obviously the poor World Cup, he thought he'd solved it by giving him that, you know, um, defensive mentality and defensive steel. And some of their stats defensively were, were the best in the world for a while. Um, but now it's just gone. He just can't get results, you know, to back to back. And and I think they are dangerous because they come to Viva with nothing to lose and they have the ability to score from long range um, the rumour is that Blair Kinghorn is going to start and Finn Russell is dropped which would be which would be interesting but um, yeah look at I, I don't know I don't know where they're going they, on paper <laughs> on paper they're better than they were but yes bar the England game um, there's not evidence of that yeah it's going to be interesting in terms of selection Ireland will be naming their team tomorrow um, we know for certain anyway there's going to be one change James Ryan isn't going to be involved after his head injury against England on the on the team of that guys, like it's it's still coming into stark focus again. I, I think in general, pretty much everyone is in agreement that that red card was a red card. There hasn't been much debate around it whatsoever. But like we're several years now into this clampdown by World Rugby and officials on you know head equals red. That message has been clear now for quite a few years. But our behaviours changing at all, Bernard, particularly with when it comes to coaching, our coaches. Are coaches encouraging players to tackle low or is there still a focus on, you know, trying to cover the ball in that contact area when you're making a tackle on someone? Um, I, I think that the pressure now needs to go back to coaches and players. I, I heard Sam Warburton talk on Friday night um, about the lack of improvement in tackle tech. And, you know, it's a shared responsibility from coaches and players. So, you know, coaches are working with these players day in, day out, they need to change the behaviours. And we haven't seen a, a, a significant enough shift. Having said that, you know, 29 players who played in Twickenham had their technical technique right. You know what I mean? So um, we can't, like, get carried away or, or get over excited about the one or the one player every second game or third game who, who makes a, a mistake. But I do, think, I do think that has to be the next focus. And I'm sure World Rugby are, are working actively at at that about, you know, trying to coach the coaches better. Um, and obviously that transferring then to, to players at all level. But the, the tackle height has to drop in general. I mean, there's too many head head collisions, uh, in, in my opinion. So, like, there's been, I've seen some people in the last couple of days as well, suggesting that even maybe the, the language around rugby probably needs to change. Like kind of referencing the fact that Eddie Jones, for example, spent all of last week talking about the importance of physicality and, you know, really getting in the faces of players and things like that. And, you know, is there is there a link between a week's worth of conversation around that and psyching up players and 82 seconds into a game where Charlie Hughes just runs upright into someone just because I imagine he's so focused on, you know, it's been ingrained in him for a week or two weeks. I have to make a hit. I need to put my stamp on this game early on. Yeah, look, I think that uh, I, a lot of people seem to and be it's focused not, look, on... It's a, by, by the way, it's not a... 
you know, it's not throwing Andy Jones under the bus. Pretty much every coach says these oh, things yeah. week on week, you know? Well, look, you can't, you can't get away from the fact that rugby is a physical contact game. I mean, we all talk about winning the game line, uh, you know, controlling the collisions. Who wins the collisions wins the game. That is the way rugby is played. Um, the advent of professionalism has meant that the players are getting bigger, stronger, faster. So it's inevitable that there is going to be a fallout somewhere. That fallout has come in terms of uh, the worrying concerns around concussion. So therefore, I think those who run the game, there is an onus on them to protect the players from themselves. And that uh, the tackle one is the one that's taking the, the most time to uh, adjust. I mean, you know, I, I know I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but you look, look at the amount of bombs that uh, England put up against Ireland. Hugo Keenan was absolutely outstanding in the air. Uh, but look at the contest. The hang time that uh, Smith put on those was incredible. Yet, there wasn't one England player like Jack Nowell and say, Freddie Stewart. They were the two guys who were putting the pressure on Hugo Keenan. But there was not one incident where they felt that they were going to challenge in the air because they knew Keenan had commanded that space. He was up in the air before them. You go back two or three years ago, you would have seen a player arrive late, even though he didn't have a chance of winning the ball. Then you'd have a collision in the air and somebody come down and land on their back or their neck and you had a serious issue. Uh, and that normally led to a red card. You don't see that anymore. Why? Because players have learned that the consequence of competing, when you don't have a chance, uh, could be very costly. So they wait until you come down to ground. And to be fair, England did that brilliantly. They, they, they forced one or two penalties from Keenan because he didn't release once he came back onto ground. The tip tackle one. We don't see that in the game anymore. I know we had Alex Kandelan. There was a, an issue, a ridiculous one. In, well, in, at least there was in, no in, debate around that one whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, geez, I, I don't know what um, Duplessis was thinking in his head. But uh, Alex Kandelan, I mean, when you talk about being dropped from a height, I mean, it was ridiculous. But anyway, that's, that's a debate for another day. But by and large, you don't see those things anymore. Um, look, you, you, you have to put pressure on the opposition. That involves trying to, like, you, you see stats that come out. You're talking about it isn't tackles anymore. It's how many dominant tackles do you have? Uh, I think we just have to stick with it. I think by the time you get to the next World Cup, that coaches and players have to see, by and large, when you get a player sent off, it means you don't have a chance of winning the game. Um, so, therefore, the behaviours have to change. Like, when there's a duty of care to somebody like James Ryan. I think he's an outstanding player. Um, and it would be awful if you thought that he was forced out of the game because of uh, a sequence of tackles over a period of a year or two years. Um, that uh, could have a, a long-term consequence for him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Bernard, is there any sign that behaviours are changing? Are we seeing less of these tackles than, than we did a couple of years ago? I actually think we... We're definitely not seeing more of them. I just think that the awareness and the, the technology and the focus from a refereeing group, so not just the referee, the touch judges, but more importantly, the TMO, um, more of them are getting looked at again. And like in fairness, some of them, you know, there was the, um, it was the Ryan Baird one, you know, in Italy that I didn't notice uh, live. Um, in actual fact, the red card against the Italian hooker I didn't notice that live as well as being a red, you know a red card, but when you see it played back, so I, I think that there's probably 
there hasn't been any more incidents, maybe there's even less, but the whole focus point um is it means that much more of them are getting picked up and looked at. And once you go through that set of protocols, um, you know, it's it's more likely than not that it's gonna end up in a red unless there's really clear mitigating circumstances. Is it a step in the right direction? Personally, I felt that I saw very, very little uh dissent against a red card on Saturday. And I do think that maybe 12, 18 months ago, there probably would have been more, uh, like a handful more pundits or a handful more supporters saying, no, yellow is enough there. You know, it's a contact sport. It's a rugby collision, etc." Is that a step in the right direction that like, there certainly seemed to be a, a greater consensus that that absolutely was a red card? Yeah, I think, I think uh, people's expectation levels and understanding of how important it is that we we fixed this have, have improved massively. And that's, that's the first point. I mean, Don said, Don said that they didn't show it on the big screen. So hence the, the people in the stadium felt it might be a, um, a, a mistake, but I think if they had seen it as well, um, they would have understood it more. So I know, I suppose, from, is that from a safety point of view or is that from a, a point of view about James Ryan's family and they don't want to show it? I'm not sure why they didn't show it back in the big screen, but people talk about intent intent doesn't come into it it's no. not a factor in a, a collision like that i mean not, nobody you know nine times out of ten it wasn't like the old days when fellas were out trying to take your head off nobody goes out to deliberately uh do damage um no doubt in my mind charlie Ewell's. uh the issue for him is he's six foot seven he's got to learn how to drop his body height but i think uh what is the issue in terms of the crowd being um let into the conversation that 8 million people are listening to at home. And I think, um, you know, there would be a far greater acceptance for the decision. Um, it probably worked in England's favour in that uh, the crowd were so incensed by it that they got so much behind the team. Uh, it definitely gave England a lift from that point of view. But uh, look, uh, the referee, spot on, conversation with the TMO, 100% correct, and that's what you want. Yeah, certainly. I don't think there's any debate anyway about that. Um, before we finish up, guys, obviously the other game that the Irish fans will be interested in will be 8 o'clock in Paris on Saturday night and, and France taking on uh, on England. We obviously need France to to slip up uh, and hope that Ireland win as well against Scotland in order to to win the title. Bernard, you were, you were in Cardiff on Friday night for, for Wales against France and... Like it is a team with France over the last year or so that is as good as they've been and as brilliant rugby they play and the results they've had that there have been plenty of occasions in the last 12 months where in tight games in the last 10-15 minutes they've they've been quite jittery and they on some occasions they've come through but you look at Scotland last year they didn't there were games against Australia over the summer as well when when it came right down to the wire and they got quite nervy as well and, and lost them so they aren't they aren't these stone cold killing machines no, they're definitely um, not infallible, and and I think, I think you know England will will see areas of that game, particularly how Wales dominated the kick battle, um, how they found grass, and um, you know how uh, and how they were able to snuff out them defensively as well. Even though I thought France had to had to beaten them a few times, just you know passing accuracy wasn't as good as 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 it normally is. Um, but I, look, you have to understand the mindset of of the French. I mean, they will see. They will not see the flaws in that performance. They'll see the positives, and I actually think that they, they held, they kept a, a reasonably high level of composure. You know, at the end, 
Their defence was was rock solid. Wales barred that crossfield kick to Falatau that he topped back inside to John Davies. Didn't really look like they had him stretched. And it was a real Sean Edwards type performance. So um, they're going back to, to Stade de France. Um, they've gone away to Wales. They've gone away to Scotland um, and got the job done. So, you know, they're 80 minutes away from a Grand Slam. 200k bonus each, um, which is which is a nice a nice dessert uh, on top of, of, a, of a trophy for them. Um, and I think look at the atmosphere is going to be phenomenal. Nine o'clock kickoff local time. Um, as Donald said, you know we've both been over there this year. The the connection between the the public now and this team is phenomenal. And I think they're going to be new men. I mean, uh, they'll, be, they'll be back to their best now. Obviously, England have the power to take them on or match them at, at set piece time, but. She's uh, um, I think they're in a they're in a pretty good place. And, and Mofana played in the wing. He's a phenomenal rugby player. I think he's a centre. I mean, he had a couple of chances that a penal was was fit. Um, you know, Wales wouldn't have recovered, but he's out this weekend. Um, I think Penno's back, Taufani is back. They went five three on the bench, they'll go six two. Uh, yeah. Look, it obviously is a chance, but I think France will be I think France will finish in style. What about you, Dylan? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you talked about the mental challenge and the, the fact that they were stressed and put under pressure. Uh, international rugby isn't all about just uh, being flash and scoring great tries and all that type of thing. I mean, France have that. They have more X-factor players probably than anybody else in the championship. But there's times when you just got to get down and dirty and get stuck in and defend. So from that point of view, I think, uh, a bit like Ireland and Twickenham, I think Friday night's game in Cardiff, is a huge learning curve for this French team. Like their 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 average, I think they're about four hundred and fifty caps in their match day squad. Ireland are up over uh, seven or eight hundred. So I mean, there uh, people still have to appreciate this is a young, developing French team. And when you talk about being stressed and having to come through games, for me, there's there's three games this season alone that the France of two years, three years, four years ago would have lost. One, against New Zealand, the week after we beat New Zealand, France were well on top of that game for a long period of time. New Zealand brought them back to three points, I think. And you, do you remember you had that intimate break from behind his own goal line when they ended up scoring at the other end? Uh, that was a game that France would have lost before. The Ireland game, the fact that Ireland, they were so far ahead of Ireland for a period. Ireland came back and closed it out at the end. They hung in and they won that game. And they did it again on the road. And that was the significant difference this time. Those two other games were in the Stade de France. This was in Cardiff. And even, uh, like, Cardiff is probably the best stadium in the world. When you get, and I know it wasn't full the other night, and that's a debate maybe for, for another day, 12,000 people missing. But um, uh, you could see this young French team, even at the anthems, they were kind of looking around and uh, they were taking it all in. So for them to come out of that test and win it, I think is hugely significant. I think Saturday night, um, when you consider what are we now, we're 19 months away from a World Cup final. In terms of a dress rehearsal, and Sean Edwards has been talking about this, we're not a great team until we win something. France haven't won anything for a long, long time. They haven't won the championship in 12 years. They haven't won a Grand Slam in 12 years. The pressure is on them now to perform on Saturday night against England of all people. Of all the teams they want to beat, it's England. So I, I think it'll be a huge test of this team, but I think they've passed every test that has come their way so far. Um, I agree with Birch. I think they'll win. 
Uh, I think England had their chances uh, against Ireland. Uh, from an attacking perspective, England are struggling to score tries. France will score tries. So uh, on that basis alone, I think they'll win. Uh, I'd love to be sitting back, Ireland with the triple crown in the bag, uh, find a nice quiet pub somewhere, have a point and watch the game. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a cracker, but I think uh, the Grand Slam, I felt France were going to win the championship all year. Uh, the Grand Slam was debatable. Winning five games in a row in this championship is difficult, um, but I think they're good enough to win it. Well, we'll see how it goes this Saturday. Donald and Birch, thanks for joining us. Plenty of rugby coming up this Saturday across RT Radio and RT TV on Saturday afternoon, 4.45 kickoff, Ireland against Scotland at the Aviva Stadium. That's live on RT Radio 1. And on RT 2 and the RT Player, you can see Wales against Italy from 2.15. You can also see France against England at 8 o'clock. And we'll be starting the day down in South Africa as well with the Lions against Munster at Ellis Park in the United Rugby Championship. That game kicking off at 12 in the afternoon. But uh, from us here on the RT Rugby Podcast, we'll be back again next week. We'll see you then. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.